Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, July the 7th. We begin with another edition of Ask the Doctor, focusing on COVID-19 questions that were sent in by you, our listeners. As always, we're joined by Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist with the University of Calgary. Next, it's that time of the year. City assessors are hard at work checking the value of over a half million homes in the city as their annual assessments are now underway. What exactly are they looking at and what does this mean to the average homeowner? We find out. The 2021 edition of the Calgary Stampede kicks off Friday. Of course, what would Stampede be without free pancake breakfast? Well, we get the details on a very special breakfast being held by our friends at the Weston Hotel this Friday morning. It'll give you your fill of pancakes and a chance to help Calgary kids at the same time. And finally, obesity and diseases related to it like diabetes are on the rise in Canada. We speak with a University of Alberta researcher who's come up with a way to help. But the road to better health comes in an unconventional package. And since the start of the pandemic, we've been posing your COVID-19 questions to our expert. And we're joined once again by Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary, Dr. Craig Janney. Good morning to you once again, Dr. Janney. Good morning. I'm going to be really selfish here. I've got a question that's come up in my house, <laughs> uh, but I'll be selfish because I think this perhaps affects a lot of people. So let me give you a bit of a breakdown. There's six of us under one roof. Four of us are either in the teens or adults have had both uh, doses of the vaccine. But a couple of toddlers under the age of 12, obviously not eligible for the jab. Should I be super concerned and vigilant when it comes to the toddlers or anybody under the age of 12 in the sense that can I not carry it as somebody who's vaccinated and give it to somebody who is not vaccinated? So what I'm getting at is should we be sure to still mask up our kids everywhere we go if they're under the age of 12? Yeah, that's a great question. So... The good news is when kids under 12 catch this virus, the chance of severe disease is very low. So they get much less sick than than adults do. But unfortunately, some of them do get sick. And, you know, many of us are in that same situation. And as we are going out, the only defense we have left for those guys is, you know, to wear a mask in public for the little guys, at least until a vaccine becomes available. With regards to other people in the house spreading it, if everyone in the house has got both shots and are more than two weeks out, the chance of transmission is really, really low. So, you know, daily life around the home, very little risk. The the only real risk comes in if you're now associated with people who are not vaccinated or, you know, the kids going out into crowded indoor public spaces might still be a good idea to wear masks for the short term. Okay, fair enough. Your thoughts on lifting the mask mandate? Did we do it too soon? Uh, I would have liked to have seen just a couple more weeks. And the reason why I say that is we still have a lot of Albertans who are getting their second shot this week and next week, and they need two weeks to develop that full immunity. We know the Delta variant, the one that is circulating through Alberta right now, can easily infect people who have one shot. So one shot only gives about 30% protection. And we are so close to having the bulk of Albertans with two shots, two weeks out, fully immune, and we seem to be just lifting it a couple weeks early. Right, here's a question that I've never even never entered my mind. Uh, a question for Dr. Janney. When will we need a third shot? That's a great question, and the, the honest answer is right now we don't, which is great news. Uh, all of the variants we've seen are well covered by our current shots, and it looks as though all of the studies from these the, these. Uh, vaccines that are approved in Canada are demonstrating long-lived immunity. 
Now, if a new variant shows up that is no longer covered, we may need a shot to, to cover the new variant, but it doesn't look like we're going to need one simply as an immune booster. So consider this more like a flu-type shot. Every time there's a new flu, we need a new shot. When a new coronavirus variant emerges, that's when we will likely see a booster. Well, speaking of, this person says, I have a strong natural immune system. I've never had the flu, never had a flu shot, rarely get colds. I'm concerned the COVID shot will disrupt my natural immune system. Can the doctor assure me it won't? Yes, so it will not. Um, These vaccines work in a very, very specific way. They don't reprogram your whole immune system. They show your immune system, in the case of of this coronavirus shot, a single protein, one specific target. And we make a tiny percentage of our cells that can see that target. Somewhere in the area of 1 in 10,000, 1 in 100,000 of your blood cells will be able to see this target. But that's all we need. If you have that and you're exposed to the virus, those cells rapidly expand. And this is just like any other disease you would have experienced during your life. So we maintain a tiny number of cells and they do all the heavy lifting, but those cells do not influence or affect your other immunity. Got another one here about, you know, other vaccines. And the question is, this has come up before, but I guess we could, with shingles, they usually say, okay, should I get my shingles shot in close proximity after having my second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine? Well, any vaccine for that matter, should we have a window or a time frame before we get another one? Yeah, there, there are some that can be mixed and matched, and, and those are because they engage different parts of the immune system. In this case, because we, we do see some inflammation, and you know we have had people with injection site soreness and things like that, they're simply recommending wait four weeks after your COVID shot before getting any other vaccine. So pretty short window, but still, it's better to hold off those extra couple weeks, make sure that, for example, you don't get a, a really sore shoulder from injections. Here's a a last question we'll have time for with you, doctor, but uh, the variant D just came out. How are we so quickly able to say that one shot gives you 30% protection, the second 80%? How How do we do that? Yeah, so we have to remember that these variants, they may have just recently been described in Canada, but they've been circulating now, in this case, in uh, South Africa for for months. And we're able to track the natural vaccine uh, programs there. So seeing how many people had received their first shot in that country, how many people had received both shots, how many people with no shots. And from there, we can estimate how protective one or two doses are. So these are not necessarily Canadian data. But the, the variants have emerged months ago in other parts of the world where vaccines are deployed, and we're using that real-world, real-life data to understand how the virus moves. Dr. Jenny, we had many questions, and you had all the answers. Uh, once again, we appreciate your time. You're welcome, guys. Take care. You as well. That is Dr. Craig Jenny, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. We're seeing home prices spiking in Canada's biggest markets, Toronto and Vancouver particularly. While Calgary is lagging a little bit behind, thanks to our economic slowdown and, of course, COVID, the city's assessment department is looking at home prices in Calgary and say they are heading in the right direction. That's good news and bad news. Eddie Lee, the city's acting city assessor and director of assessment, joins us to give us some perspective on what a hot housing market means to your assessment and ultimately your tax bill. Good morning, Eddie. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Okay, so a lot of times people are split on assessments. Uh, An increasing or rising assessment means your home is worth more, but one that goes down means it's worth less. Of course, bottom line is the assessment does affect the amount of tax that you pay in the end, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's important to note that assessment is only one part of the equation. And when assessments increase, tax does not 
mean it'll automatically increase as well. One thing we do apply is a revenue neutral process. So basically, if your uh, home is more or less going up the same uh, amount as the typical market is, you're going to be more or less paying the same amount of taxes. There are some exceptions that might apply. You know, if you had a renovation or you developed your basement in the, in the past year, you could expect to pay a little bit more. But for most people, increase in assessment won't lead to increases in taxes. Um, the tax uh, ta- amount of taxes will be deliberated at council through the budgetary process in November. Okay, let's, uh, can you walk us through, Eddie, the process, because you're doing these reassessments on over a half million homes. What sorts of things are looked at and what sorts of boxes are checked off? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Every single year, we take a look at uh, all the sales that have uh, occurred in the, in the past year. And similarly to anybody, we would compare homes with similar property characteristics such as you know what community you're in uh the square footage of your house whether you have a garage or not and compared to that to uh, ones that have uh, similarly sold and that's basically how we would determine uh the assessed value of your home and that's as of the uh, valuation date july 1st which we will mail out those assessments in january uh, Eddie, we have talked to realtors in the city who have said, you know, it has gotten quite hot in our real estate market. So we're, we know that homes, single detached family homes, they are, uh, you know, quite hot on the market right now. Is it the same for apartments, condos? Are they sort of catching up or where are we looking with that? So one thing to note is we have seen across the board uh, increase in number of uh, sales transactions. And that's mostly attributed to, you know, last year. When we think back to last year, people were still uncertain how to sell homes and uh, a little bit nervous. But that has uh, uh, gone away and people have been accustomed to buying and selling homes. So we are seeing a large amount of interest, more interest in in, uh, single detached uh, homes. And that's uh, mainly driven, you know, most of us or a lot of us have been uh, holed up in our homes because of the pandemic and they're looking for more spaces. So as a result, we are seeing uh, increases uh, as much as 10% or more for single detached homes, while in condos, those uh, um, increases are, are, are more slight. Mm-hmm. Eddie, it's uh, no uh, secret, and it continues to be a case of high vacancy rates in the downtown core. What does that do to assessments, not only for downtown, but for the rest of the city as the slack has to be picked up somewhere? Yeah, absolutely. We continue to see, uh, like you said, high vacancy, and people are continue, or a lot of people are continue to be uh, uh, working from home. And that, that has had a uh, uh, impact on the uh, office market. So right now, it's still a little bit too early to tell what that means in the big picture, as we're still sort of in the midst of our analysis right now. But we will be continuing to provide uh, updates to council and to Calgarians on what that really means. But one thing that's really important to note is that overall, we don't collect more taxes through the reassessment process as it's a revenue neutral process. Thank you so much for the update, Eddie. Appreciate your time this morning. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That is Eddie Lee, Acting City Assessor and Director of Assessment with the City of Calgary. Stampede breakfasts are a way of life during the greatest outdoor show on earth. And of course, always great when you can also help out a cause along the way. So telling us about a free brekkie that's near and dear to our hearts that is Calgary's Westin Hotel, kicking off Stampede on Friday with a breakfast that will be making a difference as well. Joining us now to tell us the details is Dan DeSantis, GM of Calgary's Westin Hotel. Good morning to you, Dan. 
Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, thank you for taking the time. And uh, so happy that we can talk about yeah the Westin. Again, you guys do so much for the community. Having that opportunity to uh, do so again and during Stampede. So give us the where, when, and how we can fill our bellies. Yeah. So where West End, at the West End downtown off of 4th Avenue and 3rd Street, we are doing the pancake breakfast out in front of the hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be from 7.30 to 9.30. And all the money raised uh, from donations, uh, the breakfast itself is free, uh, but all the donations provided will go to the uh, Alberta Children's Hospital and Calgary Children's Foundation, which is obviously a partnership that the Western Calgary and CHQR have had for a number of years. Um, it's, it's one of the things that uh, Marriott Hotels does uh, as part of being part of the community, and it's something that uh, we felt that would be a good kickoff to Stampede. We've all uh, been impacted by the pandemic, and this would be uh, certainly a way to engage with the customers and give back to the community. And we do love our free pancake breakfasts for sure, Dan. But you, you know, in all seriousness, the Weston has been such a huge partner for us with the Calgary Children's Foundation. And I know it's one of the core values of your hotel the hotel chain and your employees who, who volunteer their time to help us out every year. So right now, is it is it important not just as a company, but for the individuals, you and your team? Yeah, and interestingly enough, uh, we have associates and executives that are all volunteering their time. Some of the companies that we partner with are volunteering their their food. And some of our inactive associates that have been laid off uh, for periods of 12 to 16 months are coming back to volunteer their time during uh, during this as we get closer back to uh, being able to call them back to work. So it really is part of uh, what we believe in as a hotel and, and our culture within the hotel and the, and the associates that work at the hotel that they're they're willing to, to come in and, and give back to a great cause like this. And a personal question for you, Dan, and mm-hmm. that is, do you pour a big blob of syrup on the side of the plate, or do you coat every square centimeter of the pancake? I'm a, I'm a butter and syrup right oh. on top. Uh, Heck yeah. <laughs> uh, Why not? Good choice. We're ready for a stampede breakfast, and that's where you come in, and always for a great cause, 7.30 to 9.30, right out front the Westin Hotel on Friday. It's just fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and for doing what you do, Dan. We appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. We look forward to seeing everybody down here on Friday. Take care. Absolutely. That is Dan DeSantis, GM of the Westin Hotel. Everything comes down to poo. From the top of your head to the sole of your shoe, we can figure out what's wrong. All righty. 843 mornings with Sue and Andy. We've all heard about having the good gut bacteria and how important it is for a healthy life. Sadly, many of us don't have it or don't have enough of it. U of A researcher Dr. Karen Madsen just wrapping up a clinical trial aimed at getting those who need it the good gut bacteria. But the treatment involves literally taking capsules of human feces. To explain, we're joined by Dr. Madsen. Good morning to you, doctor. Uh, Good morning. Okay, well, we got to get the elephant in the room (laughs) out of the way quickly on this one so we can get to the, the meat and bones of it. Capsules of human feces. Please explain. Okay, we prefer to call them microbial capsules. <laughs> oh, that's okay, a much that better, better. Title. I appreciate yeah. that. Okay, um, let's just get away from that whole image of feces, all right? 
Let's do let's, it. Let's wrap our brain around the fact that most species are microbes. So good bacteria are bad sometimes. So what we do is we, we take healthy poo from a very healthy person. We uh, spin it down. We put it into capsules that look like normal capsules you would take, like a vitamin. Um, and then we basically give it to people. So, and this, I mean, it's, it is truly called a fecal transplant, right? Yeah, it is. So it's used widely in other treatments of diseases. So is it proven? Do we have background that shows this kind of thing works? Oh, absolutely. So C. difficile infection is one of the most common infections you get in hospitals. Um, and it's usually treated with antibiotics. And antibiotics actually cause the disease because it wipes out all the good bacteria. So when you do a fecal transplant in a person with C. difficile infection, you get a 95% success rate. Mm-hmm. So within 24 hours, you completely cure their infection. Incredible. So they go from having diarrhea 10, 20 times a day to having no diarrhea at all within 24 hours. So it has been a proven method for that for thousands of years, actually. Wow. What's interesting is, you know, we've heard a lot about probiotics and prebiotics. What makes this different? This makes different because what we're doing is we're taking, um, you have a whole gut ecosystem in, in your gut that's just yours, yours alone, and you made it depending on what you ate and what you're exposed to. And some people have a very dysfunctional gut ecosystem, like a, a very healthy, unhealthy landscape. So we basically change that by putting in a whole new ecosystem. So rather than a probiotic, when you're just trying to put in one tree or one bush, we're putting in everything all at once. And that's the success rate. But what we found was that when we put in the whole ecosystem, we had to feed it with a prebiotic or a fiber to help keep it there. Mm. Because if you change your gut and then just go back to eating basically crap, you will have a dysfunctional system. Interesting. Fascinating. Uh, We could talk to you about this for a long time, no doubt. Unfortunately, we're out of time. But thank you so much for sharing this information. I think it's really important. Obviously, talk to your doctor if you think that it might be something that's uh, useful or beneficial to you. Thank you for joining us, doctor. Absolutely. You're welcome. Have a good day. You too. That's Dr. Karen Madsen, researcher at the U of A's Faculty of Medicine and Dentistry, director of the Center of Excellence for Gastrointestinal Inflammation and Immunity Research. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.